Good to see everybody today. As you can tell from, thank you. As you can tell from the intro, we're going to turn our attention for the next couple of weeks to a tiny little book in the New Testament called Titus. Now, if you're not a big Bible study person, um, this is going to be right down your alley because this whole book is three chapters, and those chapters aren't very long. So, in some Bibles, this book, the entire thing fits on a single page. So, that's you, short Bible studies, anyone? This is for you. So, tune in right, right here. All right, yeah, short one. Okay. Um, so, not Romans by any stretch, but still packed full of good information. And so, here's the main point as we get into it. And the main point comes from the book itself. Understanding this, of course, that all, all Scripture is God-breathed. So, this is what God has to say to us through these pages. So, you've got to own it personally. And I'll take 2.14 as the main idea. God would say this, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God saved you to do good. Wasn't supposed to end with you. All that God did wasn't supposed to terminate on you. Like, okay, great, it's over. You're supposed to go be a force for good, zealous for good works, the good that has been done to you out into the world. You were lost and he plucked you out. He woke you up. Some of you, he woke you up because of your sin. He let you chase your own sin long enough. It finally blew your life up. And once your life blew up, then you could listen. Then you were at least open to listening. And once you were listening, he says over and over, I'll give you ears so you can hear, and I'll give you eyes so you can see. So maybe before someone stands up here and says, Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, that's what you need, and you can't hear it, but all of a sudden you can. He gives you the ability to see your sin. He gives you the ability to see and understand the remedy, that Christ is a substitute to cover over your mess. Provided by him, and the whole thing was his idea. He gives you the ability to believe. He has the desire and the ability to impute to you. Remember our word from last week? Impute, cause you to possess. So he imputes to Christ all of your bad, all of your unrighteousness, and has the desire and the ability to stick to you, impute to you, cause you to possess the righteousness of Christ. Gift. The question is, can anybody tell that's you, you believe? Is there anything Christ-like coming out of you? Is there any discernible difference in your life, pre-Christian to post? All right. For, the, for a particular group of people, that answer is no. There's no difference. They've believed, but they don't look any different after the fact than before. And so Titus becomes this. Titus is a corrective word from God to these kind of people. I'll take another verse from it. This comes from 116. It's a corrective word of God from God to Christians who profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. This is a classic little mini-series on walk the talk. You say, you claim Christ, then you had better be living it. So there's 
There's application all over the board on this one for us. Application all over the place. And the other thing it communicates, the fact that this is a corrective word to Christians who are only saying it, they're not really living it, is that is God's expectation. We talk a lot about the grace of God, and it is unbelievable. The gift that I just rolled out, the fact that he would cause us to possess these things, and we didn't deserve any of them. That is, that is unbelievable grace. But the grace is not supposed to be without effect. It's supposed to change you. It's not supposed to be cheap, like, great, thanks, and I'll go do whatever I want. So never empty God of his expectation on you to be something new. If you empty him of that expectation, you actually go against what the Word of God says. So there is that, and he calls for it. And when he doesn't see it, he's going to correct it. He's going to rebuke it. He's going to challenge it to change it, and Titus is that. So the context for this short little rebuke, if you will, is the island of Crete. So here it is in the world at the time. Here's, we can circle that. All right, the primary guy, in terms of the gospel at the time, is a guy named Paul, who, right after Christ makes his ascension and God rearranges his heart, he becomes the number one guy to take the good news of Jesus to the, to the empire. At some point in time, he comes across this little island. Now, their reputation preceded them, and not in a good way. They were notoriously bad. So he gets there and he explains the good news. They can hear it. They believe it. But by the time he's ready to leave, they don't change. They don't look any different. He's not happy about it. But there's a guy named Titus he leaves behind. Titus got all, he got the hard jobs. And this was another one. He went to, Paul would send Titus to, to Corinth. And Corinth, those were Christians gone wild. Do you remember that? So he always got the tough assignments. This was another one. But they don't change. He doesn't have any authority to get anything done. So when Paul gets to where he's at, he, turns, he writes a letter back of authority saying, Titus can teach these things, and then he instructs him on what he's to say and what he's to do to bring about the needed change in this island of Crete. So that's the context. Here's the beginning of the, of the letter. One through five. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of faith, of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So I'll stop right there. If God has decided that you would believe and he's decided that you would know the truth, it was never supposed to be separate from actually working out in your life. If you truly know and have the truth and the knowledge of God and the grace that has been extended to you in Christ, it's going to work out in your members, which accords with godliness. So if it's legit, it'll come out. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching, which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the letter starts like this. Dear Titus, here's the charge. I want you to, here's some instruction to help bring order to the Christians and the Christian churches on the island of Crete. That's the charge. Bring order. I found this interesting in my study. The word for order here that he uses is the same word that we use to come up with orthodontist. 
Someone who brings into line. Someone who straightens out what is crooked. And so these folks on this island, they need straightened out. They need brought into line. And this is the instruction to help them live up to what they've already attained. To bring them into line. So here's the crookedness that he was dealing with. And we'll drop down to verse 10 and get the crookedness. And then we'll come up and start to see God's remedy for it. Or at least the first part of his, his instruction. But it has a couple of parts. And so this is what he was dealing with on this island. Here's verse 10 and 11. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So who are we talking about again in this church? It's got to be the Jews that are part of the problem. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So here's what we can know about this island. When Christ makes his ascension, the Holy Spirit comes in and in empowers and inspires those, those first group of believers to go and make disciples. A sermon is preached in Jerusalem, and the, the very first one, and it was preached by, anybody know who preached it? Do you know it? Just shout it out. Oh man, nine o'clock knew it. I was like, almost the whole, it's Peter. Come on, guys. He preaches it, and when he's there, there's Jews from all over the empire that hear it and believe. And we know that's the account in Acts. And from there, there were Jews from Crete that were there. So they probably went back. And so they're the founding fathers of the church, if you will. They would have been by default the leaders because the Cretans, the rest of the people, which sounds weird to say it because it just sounds derogatory to call someone a Cretan, but nevertheless. They would have given way to these Jews because of their heritage and they knew more about the Bible. And so they would have been by default probably leaders. But these folks that came back and were running it, they had bad doctrine. They didn't teach the right stuff. They weren't teaching the right things. So I want to give you an example of good doctrine so we can get to the bad. Good doctrine would be you teach what Jesus said. You get it from him. You, he causes you to understand it and then you push it out so others can do the same. So here would be a piece of Good teaching that should have been happening. I chose Matthew 15, 11, and then 17 through 20. Jesus said, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Drop down to 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is what defiles you. That stuff is in us. It's not the outside stuff. Oh, we got to stay away from the bad. The bad's here. So you take something like take a glass of wine. To have a glass of wine and put it in, that doesn't make you bad. In some cases, that wine would be a cause for a person to actually give praise to God. God, thank you for your gifts. I can enjoy that in such a way that actually gives you honor that I can pray. Thank you for what you've done. It gladdens their heart. I mean, not in an Old Testament king kind of drunken gladdens their heart sort of way, because we have that too, but in a way that, that is honorable, that actually, you know, can be worship. But that same glass can cause, in another person's hand, will cause them to wake up somewhere and they don't know how they got there. But the issue is not the wine. The issue is the person. 
But the teaching was from these leaders is like, no, Jesus plus, we see this happening, so Jesus plus no alcohol is salvation. They start adding to it. Jesus plus circumcision is salvation. And this was maybe the worst. Jesus plus tithe is salvation. Welcome to service this morning on the island of Crete. See all you Cretans out there? <laughs> Let's go back and grab an Old Testament passage about the tithe. I want to remind you that to not tithe is to rob from God. 10% and we know what you make. So don't rob from God. Don't rob this church of God's favor. Give 10%. Boxes are in the back. And if you don't, you probably don't believe. Let's sing. So maybe, it's, maybe that's the introductory to the sermon. I don't know. But it says they were teaching for shameful gain things they ought not to teach. And yeah, it's a mess. And the, the Cretans, we'll get to them. They were, they were in a position to to be abused by it. Because they didn't know enough to be anything different. So problem number one was, yeah, bad leadership. And they're not, they're not telling the truth. And it's an issue. But they weren't the only issue. The other issue was the people themselves. So now we go down to 12 and 13. It's the Cretans themselves. And this is what Paul has to say about them. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And that prophet was right. This testimony is true. Lovely place. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be, of, be in sound, sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So that quote is actually from Epimenides, Real guy, historical Greek philosopher, said that. He's 600 years before Christ. He's a Cretan himself. He lives there, and he's saying, hey, if you're dealing with us, make sure you know that you're dealing with liars. How do you know a Cretan is lying? He's speaking, whatever you want to say. If you're going to do business with us, we will try to get around. You're not, we're not going to be what we seem to be at face value. We'll defraud you in some way. You have an island full of liars, which maybe these Cretans aren't so different from us. Are you a liar? Do you lie? My dad's been looking into this lie spotting. There's unbelievable studies about this. Finding out that the average person may lie up to 100 times a day. For all sorts of different things. To protect yourself, to protect somebody else, or but it doesn't matter what, but it's in us to do that. They did all these conversations, right? thousands of conversations between two strangers. And they let them talk for 10 minutes. And they recorded it. And then they went back and checked everything. They knew these people, they knew their backgrounds, and then they watched how they interact. And to a stranger, and what they found in 10 minutes... Each party lied an average of 2.92 times, or three lies per person in the first 10 minutes. About all kinds of stuff. I can't say that I've modeled the best behavior in that regard to my family. And we'll talk about it a little bit when we get to the end. But, and we took a 
a trip recently, the last part of July, first part of August, and part of the trip involved some whitewater rafting, but I wanted to make sure that we got to the right spot on the river. This section down here said you have to be at least eight, and this section right here, which seemed a lot more fun, said you had to be at least 14, but our youngest son is 13, so I told John, on this trip, you're 14. But he kept, he didn't know what day. <laughs> kept messing it up, so we're walking up to have our boarding passes inspected by this guy who looks like an authority figure, and he's walking up to it, and he's like, 14 now? 14 today? I'm like, not now. I'm like, not, not today. I'll tell you when. It's time to be 14. And do I have reasons why? Can I justify away my life? Sure, I can just, and so can you. Which means maybe we are Cretans. All of us. So they lie, and their reputation precedes them not in a good way. And they're superstitious. They're, they come up in this system from birth of all these false gods. And that, that system is, if you give a god something, like some kind of a, uh, an offering, then he'll in turn do something for me. So if I do this, I'll get back. If I do this, I'll get back. And the Jews abused it because they knew they were predisposed to it. So they're like, you better give, otherwise he won't. And so they're just falling all over themselves. And the whole thing is under this very thin veneer. There's a tent over the whole mess of it that says we are Christian. And to that, God says this is kind of the summary of the matter. This is verse 14. They profess to know me. This whole mess professes to know me, but they deny me by their works. And they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. There's just no fruit. And so the problem or the problems, or you can say this whatever you want, is sinful Christians. Uh, just fruitless living, just no, all talk and no do. There's just no action behind it. And so the remedy then begins in verse 6, and it's just the first part of it. There's lots that God is going to have to say to this group of people that aren't really living it out. And this is the first thing that he has to say, the first charge to start to bring it about. So this is one of Four or five, and we'll get to the rest of them next week. But the first thing he says to Titus is, you need to go, to bring some order, you need to go find some honorable men. Some men that don't look anything like all the description that we've just talked about. They're different. Uh, honorable men who we're going to put into leadership, and as leaders, they're going to do two things. They're going to protect, so they're going to push back against all this bad leadership, Right? But they're also going to tell the truth. Because we have no truth in these churches. Nothing is being, everything that's being said is propped up on somebody else's greed. It's all, it's, people are captive. Christ himself said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We need some truth. And we're not getting any. So you've got to find some truth tellers, some truth livers, some guys to protect. And if we institute them, that's going to be the beginning of, of the change that I want to see. So he said, I want you to go look for these kind of people. This is what you are looking for. And he lays out these 
qualifications, if you will, for the kind of guys that he wants to start to bring about some change. You look for this. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright and holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We need, now this is not a talent, sir. Go find the most talented guys you can find that are naming Christ and we're going to do, this is about character. This is about what kind of people are they in the quietness of their own life? Are they rock steady? Are are they anchored to the word? And you know it. You can see by what comes up. Let's grab those guys first, and we're going to put them into place. And so we'll look a little bit at what he was looking for. The first says, um, above reproach. This means, it doesn't mean they're perfect. Go find the perfect guys. Nobody's perfect. But above this, if any accusation, no legitimate accusation will ever stick. Because you can't stop the ac- accusation. It's just in the air. People pick it up. There's the thought of, or, or the word of some kind of impropriety by someone, a leader, it may be. And, and you pick that up, and the natural thing to do is to grab a hold of it, and instead of go to the person and see, hey, that doesn't line up with what, what I know you to be, the natural thing to do is to take that, for whatever reason we like that information, and then you just discuss it with someone else, under the guise of like, I'm so concerned. Like, hey, I heard this about Chad. Doesn't seem to be who he is. What do you think? You think it's true? doesn't matter. You repeat it once, it's true. It doesn't even matter if it's true. Like it start, as it starts to go, then it just gets energy, 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 energy. So that's going to happen. You can't stop it. It happens everywhere. It happens here. You can't do that. But what he's saying is when we actually look, hey, that's going to happen. But when you look, what you're going to find is those guys have lines established inside their lives. And those lines are established because They love God, and they love God because he first loved them, and grace has had an effect. And so when the whisper comes, they cross the line. You're going to find when you really look, no, they haven't. It's character. It's there's somebody, they appear to be somebody out here, and behind a closed door, they're the same somebody. Who are you when no one else is watching? Who are you when everyone's watching? Are they the same? Find guys that are the same, above reproach. Two, husband of one wife. Now, there's lots of takes on this, so I'll just read the three. When you read this, there's lots of interpretation, so three primary. You're looking for a guy who is faithful to his wife, the character of a one-woman man. He has a trait of faithfulness. So that's one way to look at that, husband of one wife. Another is literally Husband of one wife, so he's not a polygamist. There was some polygamy going on in Jewish circles, and people had multiple wives. It doesn't really fit our context, but it fit theirs. So maybe he's talking about that, so not a polygamist. Or you're looking for a guy who has never had more than one wife. So maybe he's remarried, and maybe that was because of death, or maybe that was because of divorce. Um, But that would exclude him because he's remarried. Our our take here, our position here is of the first. We, are of, we believe that the first interpretation is most in line with what God has 
directing Paul to tell Titus to go and look for, and that is the character of faithfulness. Be faithful to his wife. All the other things that are attached to that are evaluated on a case-by-case basis. And we land there by looking at this passage and other passages like it. 1 Timothy 3 would be the other one, believing that this is what God has intended. So, one wife, three, look at his kids. Are they wild? Are they disrespectful? Kids, you weigh into this. Do you have any idea? It's part of the qualifications. Are they believers, it says. Now, believers here can be rendered faithful because there isn't a father on the planet that can determine whether his child believes or is saved or not. Salvation is in the hands of God. God is the one who saves. A dad can't do that. But while they live under our roofs, we can ordinarily produce a faithfulness in our kids. Look at their kids. Are they, are they faithful? Do they fall in those kinds of patterns? First uh, Timothy, that same passage, would say, are they well-behaved? Because a man who can't manage, if a man can't manage his own household, then how, the question is, how will he manage the church? And the answer to that is, in the very same way. So look at his kids. And, you know, we're only three into a list of ten. Is he arrogant, quick tempered, drunk, violent, greedy, love money and not good? Is he holy and upright? Does the word anchor his life and you know it? And so it doesn't take very long here and the five elders that we have, I mean, this is already pressing against us. The elders here are myself and Craig Courtright and Steve Serbaugh, David Shepard and Clem Reinhardt. And I promise you to a man, as we read this, there isn't one of us who isn't challenged by this, pressed by this and convicted by this. Like does my life, as I measure my life against this, this office of leader in a local church, do I resemble what I'm reading? And that's okay. We're supposed to be pressed by the word. It's, that's what it's there for. It's part of the way that God sanctifies us. It's part of the way that God brings about change. As I got ready for this, I read this. I know this applies to me. And I was convicted by it. Am I really the same person behind a closed door that I am up here? And it's good to be pushed. I mean, the word does that sort of thing. It's, a, it's a, a calling, a charge that God lays on you. It's not that he hasn't given you the ability to live up to it, but are you? So this first one very much applies to leaders, but don't worry, yours is coming, I promise. As we get into it, there'll be plenty for you. So you can sit back and go like, yeah, man, I don't see this uh, Titus 1 coming out of you. All right, well, hang on. Two and three are coming. But it's a good thing to be pushed by that. Um, I like this overall description. It came from the ESV study Bible, and it summarized in some way what um, he's trying to say. Um, And the note said this, Titus, I want you to look for guys whose lives are worth imitating. Is his life worthy of imitation? This is who we want, because if we can get a couple of those guys there and we start to establish them, then good things can happen. 
by watching them and seeing them and the rhythms and how they go and their character and what comes out of them. This is going to be the first thing I want put in place on this island to start bringing about some change. Um, Which was analogous in my mind a little bit to an experience that I had on the American River. So I mentioned it earlier, but we did take a trip. This is a big, it was a big deal uh, to our family. We took a trip at the end of July and the first part of August. Um, we we're just going to go out west. We'd not done that. In 18 years, we hadn't done anything like this. So we thought about it and we planned and saved up for it. And, and our Emerson is off at Purdue. And so I wanted one last get together, kind of one last hurrah that we could all be together the way it was, you know, before things start to change. And the idea was if we spend a lot of time together, it will bond us. So you can talk to me about that strategy after service if you want to see how that worked. But So part of the deal was we didn't just want to sit around. Part of the deal was we wanted to do something, and we ended up on the American River, which is where the gold rush started. And whitewater rafting down the middle section. And so um, here we are actually on, we were just getting started. Uh, Now the first thing the guy said, you don't just jump in and go. The first thing the guy said was, all right, I need someone who can listen and is a strong paddler. And we were all a little bit afraid of what was ahead. We were unsure. And so in the group, our family, I was voted best listener and strongest paddler. Now on that day, like I I don't know that I would win that vote in every scenario, but on that day I won. He said, so I want you front left. Like, all right. And then they just went and laid down underneath a tree. And all the other guides were like, they had their people sitting in their boats on dry land and doing this and showed them like, now if you're under the boat, you go one, two, three, four, five. And he's like, all these good instructions on how to live. And our guy's like underneath a tree. I'm like, how did we get this guy? How did we get this guy? Of course we get this guy. We get in the water before, it's, it's just a pool, and he's standing in the front, and he says, all right, knock me over. So we're like, we're doing this. And he's like, stop. If we do that, if everyone's doing their own thing, we're going to go down this river like a drunken yellow caterpillar. Here's what he said. You listen to me. I'm going to be in the back, and I'm going to tell you exactly what we need when we need it, because I know. I know where we're going, and I know how to get through it. So if I say, give me three, I want three. If I want hard two, I want hard two. Back one, and you do what I say. And two, you watch him. You go with him. It is a, you imitate what he does. So when he goes, you go. How he goes, you go. And I'm like, then we'll go together, and we'll have We'll have what we need to get down. And what I learned as we went was, so I would listen. And you can't just do it with your arms. I mean, you were on the water for six or seven hours, so you're going to get tired. So I learned you just, you lean forward, right? And you just kind of do it, you do it with your whole body. And it was, a, it was in such a way, it was slower, but it had some power to it. It was easy to see and imitate. You could hear it and then see it and do it. It was at a pace where everyone can, could manage it. And we did really well. I mean, by the end, we did really well. The, by the end of it, he's like, I think you guys are ready for the next level. He didn't even know we weren't ready for this level. He also works for tips. <laughs> so, flattery won't get you everywhere, but it'll get you somewhere. <laughs> Your family is awesome. <laughs> All right. 
He's not stupid, right? He's a hippie that lives on the river, so he knows what he's doing. Here's what I learned. If you have a good guy front left and a good guy back right, everybody else in between is going to be okay. Which is a little bit like what he's saying. If we're going to get this thing going, we need some good folks up front and out back. They know the truth. They know the way. They've, they've been there. They can help. And then people need to be able to, be, to listen and to be, to be led by that, but also to be, look right beside you and see, okay, how are we doing this? And, and the strokes would be this. Hey, above reproach. Right beside all the people, leader, above reproach, character. Be the same behind a door or in front. Faithful to your wife or your husband. Manage your household. If you don't tell your household where to go, it will go wherever it wants. Manage it. Put your hands on it. Do something with it. Don't say, well, hey, whatever. Do it. And, and then model it so everybody can see, okay, this is, how, this, this is how we're doing it. Don't love money. Don't be greedy. Love good. Don't get drunk. I mean, all right, I see this. I see this. And then pretty soon, everybody can get on with it. It's not so far off. And it becomes the very first thing. Listen, if you are someone who you profess it, but you don't live it, God is saying right off the bat, you need to put yourself with, under, and around good company. Good leadership is the beginning of where this island, if you will, is going to go. Because, hey, this is coming. This is coming for all of us. Here's the you know, you got those days. You also have these days. Boom. <laughs> right? But we want to make sure we have these days. And the first part of that, good leadership. Godly men. Avail yourself. Put, make yourself available to it. Open yourself up to it. So it has lots of application for us here because um, we are in some way, in line with this, we're going to add some elders here at Life. We're going to add some, and you get to participate in that. That's the way our Constitution is written. So the charge or the challenge is that, read through this. Your assignment, hey, read Titus. That's the easiest one you've ever received from me. Oh, Titus, wow. Like, it's a page. It's a single, read it every day. Read Titus every day. And you're going to find uh, what's coming for you. But in that, there's this description of, who should the leaders be? Because that's gonna, it's an important function in your spiritual life. And who are they? And as, as names come to mind and you think about a person and he's part of our faith family, you're to submit the name to us. Now, not everyone you submit gets picked. Um, there's a whole other process. Then the elders take that and then we drill down a little bit. Do they have good doctrine? What do they believe? Can they teach? There's a lot of other stuff to it, but it starts with you. And so I invite you to participate in that. We're going to add a few. And, and reading what we just read, this is a big deal to you. To be under good leadership and what is, is essential. And so think about it, pray it through, read it. As those names pop up, write them down. And then look for yourself. It'll be easy to see. There are sections coming. Mature men, older guys, older ladies, young men, young women. There's, it like breaks it down specifically on like, hey, this is for you now. We've moved on past leadership, now it's to you, and hopefully be able to glean good stuff out of that. So, good company, all right?
good company. The first step is if bad company corrupts good character, then good company can promote the kind of stuff that we want to see, and that's step one. All right, we'll get to the rest of it next week. All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your instruction. Uh, thank you that it's short, and we like that. We do better with that. And I do pray that we have some good time in the Word this week and that um, good leaders come out of that uh, and some good correction to us individually as we read. So do that by your Word and by your Spirit. And we ask it in the good name of Jesus and everybody said.